<laughs> right. Gary Kirsten went from one of the most successful cricket players in the world to one of the most celebrated coaches in the world by leading the Indian cricket team to a World Cup victory in 2011 for the first time in 28 years. Join me on the pitch for a chat with Gary. Do you want me to start? <laughs> You've got the question. No, oh, you don't? I thought you were filming. <laughs> okay, now I have to rethink that. I thought it sounded so well. It did. It did. But you can do it again. In a different way. <laughs> Just repeat. So, I know that when one has lots of people that worship you, it tells you how great you are, that you need to have a very different conversation with yourself in order to keep yourself grounded and humble and keep your perspective of where you're fitting into the world. And I think you do that well, Gary, from everything I know about you. What is it you tell yourself to stay humble? <laughs> yeah, well, thanks for that, Bertie. Um, I don't know if I always do it well. Uh, my wife checks in with me and she says, no, sometimes you don't do it that well. <laughs> um, a couple of things. First of all, I'm actually by nature quite introverted and shy. Um, so I stay, by, by default, I stay away from um, the public domain as much as I can. In fact, I have, a, I have a, a Twitter account that I don't administer. I get someone else to administer because I just actually don't even want to consume it at all, you know. Yep. Um, but it's, we feel it's important for our businesses and stuff. But, um, yeah, I kind of stay away from that space. Humility for me um, is just is, is about being absolutely authentic to who you are as a person, number one. Um, and number two, um, to also realize that you are incredibly privileged and blessed just to be in the space that you're in, you know, and not, and not to for me not to take advantage of that. And that's where I think you can move out of humility, you know, when you think it's your right to be in the position that you're in. Yeah. Um, so humility or the concept of humility, I think is fairly easy. I think I'm learning along the way as well as to the different levels of humility. You know, we bandy around the word humility like it's, like it's something that you just understand and it's easy to act on it and behave accordingly to it. But I think it's more complicated than that. And I think I'm learning in some areas I'm not that humble, you know. Um, but certainly in the public domain, it's, I think it's very important to project yourself in such a way that this is not your right where you are. But the question is, if, if, you, if you now live in India and you know you have got tens of millions of people that will bang down your door just to shake your hands, what do you say to yourself when you wake up in the morning? Well, there are two things that happened through my experience in India. You know, we finished, I finished on the, the day that we won the World Cup with the Indian team. That was it. I didn't sign another contract, although I was offered one. Um, you know, I had made a commitment to my family that I was going to come home. And two things happened on that day. Um, one was um, we won the event, okay, which was going to change a lot of people's lives on that day. The other one was... I was lifted on the shoulders of some of the Indian players and, and they took me around what they call Wankidi Stadium, which is the stadium in Mumbai. And there were 60,000 people in the stadium shouting my name. 
And I had, I had two emotions that came out of that. One was absolute and sheer embarrassment. I've never been more embarrassed in my life, number yep. one. And the other one um, was gratitude, just a sense of gratitude. I mean, if this is what people are thinking about me, you need to honor that, you know. Um, so I was incredibly grateful for that experience. Yeah. Um, and still to this day, I mean, it's, it's next year will be 10 years since that event. Um, but still to this day, I do get, um, you know, people coming up to me, uh, mainly Indian people from around the world, and they will go, Gary, I just want to thank you for allowing us to win the World Cup. Yeah. That's the comment they make. And I want to tell them, but you can't because it's, you know, it's a, it's a quick pass on comment. I want to tell them, it's not, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. All I did was just, I was part of the journey and, 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 and I was part of an experience with a group of very talented young cricketers and we just worked it out together. Yeah. <laughs> and that's something that I heard you say that you didn't go and teach any one of those guys any new talent because they were already talented. They were on the top of their careers. All that you did is you made sure you built a culture and you became the gatekeeper of the culture. And I'm sure that created space for very talented people to thrive in. But nowhere did I ever see you talk about the detail. So what does that space look like? So I want to talk about coaching and leadership, more or less in the same space, because I believe in South Africa, we have a lack of understanding good leadership. As a leader or a coach, when you have this very talented player or people working in our organizations, what would you say are the keys to good leadership that creates the right environment for people to thrive? I mean, that's a great, a great and very deep question that we could go on for a long time. And I don't, I don't profess to have any of the answers. I mean, you've had your leadership journey and I think they're great lessons out of, out of everyone's journey. The one thing that stands out for me in my journey um, is that defining leadership is, is, is massive. I think, I think one, once we can understand what that means to you, what, what leadership means to you, then I think you can embark on the journey. So for me, that was, that was very important. That was the first question I asked myself when I got thrust into the job. Literally, my first job as a coach. How are you going to lead? You know, how are you going to help these players or this team be the best version of itself? And some of them were already big names, right? Some of them were big names, yeah. But they, we all knew that as a team, they were just kind of always middle of the table. They, were, they, never, they, they never maxed out on their abilities, um, which then put my leadership into question. And I remember saying to myself, well, the one thing I'm not going to do is tell people what to do. Because first of all, it's not my way. And second of all, I don't believe that's leadership. <laughs> my role is to facilitate the journey um, and that's what I try to do with the Indian team, but it's got to be on the back of some fundamentals. So those fundamentals were, well, who are you? <laughs> you know, how are you going to represent yourself in that space? Here you are, South African, arriving uh, to, to teach, not to teach, uh, to lead a group of cricketers from a different culture, a different way of viewing life. How are you going to present yourself? And I remember saying, if I've got nothing else, if I can offer them no more knowledge about the industry, because um, I, I couldn't anyway, because there were many talented cricketers there. Um, how are you going to represent yourself? And I remember I said, there were three things I said, said to myself. I said, number one, 
the one thing that I can offer this, t- this team that I, don't, that I think I can be ahead of any other coach is I'll work tirelessly to, uh, with each player individually. So the, one, the first thing I wanted to do was make sure I was available to each player individually. Um, so I did that. And I never ran one team net session. My assistant coach ran it. All I did is I went into one net. And I had six or seven players every practice come up and I had a one-on-one with them. And I could connect with them and get to know them and build, and build a relationship. The other thing that I said to myself is I am not going to stand on the parapets and tell the media what we're doing right and what we're doing wrong. That's not my, that's not my job. I am not going to announce my successes to the, to the masses. So in three years with the Indian team, I did, uh, I did about four interviews in three years, four press conferences. Yeah. I did one in the World Cup, just one press conference, and that was when I, when I resigned from the job. Um, so that was, that was very important. And then the, the third thing that was, was very relevant to me is, is to lead um, by example. I just wanted, okay, who am I as a human being? So one thing um, that stood out for me is my, my Christian values were very important, you know, to, to come in and say, this is what I stand for, this is what I believe in. That was very important. Number two, um, um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to be as relaxed and cool under pressure as possible because that's what I believe in. I'm never going to lose my temper. I think I lost my temper once in three years with the team and then they were all quite shocked and taken back. He said, no, we weren't expecting that, you know, where I got really angry because we, we hadn't performed well. So, the, so for me, and then, and then I think the third thing was, which was probably the most relevant thing is, how do I facilitate this journey in such a way that we can all have the time of our lives? And facilitation became the key kind of component to the leadership journey that I went on. So if you had to choose one word to define what is leadership, what would that be, and what is leadership not? <laughs> okay, this is my view, um, and not an easy answer. I would say there are a couple of things to that. First of all, for me, leadership is um, the facilitation of a group of people and the individuals in that group being the best version of themselves. Okay. And that that group can be thrive and be the best version of it itself. I think that's, I think that is, is very important f- uh, from a leadership context. What leadership is not is um, I am more knowledgeable and more skilled than you, so I'm going to tell you where you need to go to be successful. That's good. And I want to go one step deeper in facilitation. So in order to facilitate well, what would you say is probably the one or two great, most? Great question. Great question. Simple answer. Um, close your mouth. Open your ears. And when you do open your mouth, ask questions. Great. Because there's a group of people sitting here with all separate talents, yeah. separate abilities to make a contribution to the overall success of the group. Um, let them speak because by letting them speak you do two things first of all you increase the intellectual property of the group number one secondly by giving people a voice you 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 um you align them to the bigger purpose 
because they feel wanted. They feel that they can make a contribution to the bigger purpose or the, or the, the bigger success. And thirdly, you allow them to progress. And I think as human beings, we love a sense of achievement. We love to know that we're progressing. And um, we love to know that we are part, we belong to something bigger than just us, just our own success. That's very helpful. When I listen to some of the Indian players, their interviews after the fact, there's something I pick up in all of them, and that was that they trusted you. Mm. Is there an easy answer to how do you establish trust in an organization or a team? One, one word answer, time, patience. One and one, one, and one time? Time, patience. Time. Yeah, to build trust takes time and it takes patience. Um, it takes a lot of care. It's not, an, it's not an easy thing to establish. I've had, when I, when I finished with the Indian team, I then spent two years with the South African team, which was also a remarkable journey. And then I got out of that because I needed to be home and spend more time with my family. I'd lost yeah. trust in my own home. My kids didn't trust me because I was never around, you know. So I had to come back. And then I, I got into the these kind of T20 leagues. Oh, There's an uncompromising space. If you think of IPL, you've got owners who go, we have to win because it's our ego at stake. Um, you get eight weeks with the team and you get one week to prepare. Nine weeks. <laughs> How do you build trust? Can't. Impossible. You have to play on talent. Yeah. That's it. You play, you play on talent and talent ebbs and flows in performance. It's never constant. You can't build trust and you can't build any sort of a culture within your environment because you don't have time. Yeah. So it's actually a very frustrating space to be in. Wow. Um, especially when you thrust as the leader to say, okay, turn the team. The team's here. You need to take the team there. You've got nine weeks. Not possible. So I think it does take time. Um, I think it's vital to, and then it's again, you know, we throw the word trust around like it's an easy word to define and it's an, it's an, it's an easy thing. I mean, trust is very complicated, you know. Yeah. The, the levels of trust. And when you've got someone that works for you who says, I trust you, why do you, why do you trust me? What are, what are the things, what makes me trustworthy to you? And you listen to what people say, it's fascinating. So let's talk about success. Is that how you're asking the question? <laughs> Some big concept. What yeah, is Bertie. success in your world? Well, how would you define it? Oh, it's a complicated question as well. Um, I think there are many different layers to it. Um, um, you know, for me, I would say that uh, um, it's representing yourself every day as a human being in such a way that you allow people to walk a journey of life with you that allows them to thrive. Yeah. Something along those lines. How do you represent yourself every day when you wake up in the morning and to say, today um, I'm going to walk a journey of life that allows other people to potentially be the best version of themselves on their day or to thrive in the environment that you are operating in. Um, so there's something in there. Maybe, maybe another layer is, do I wake up every day um, 
um, feeling that I can make a contribution to a lot of other people's lives. Do I wake up every day knowing that that's an op there's an opportunity for that? There's something in there. Yes. I, d I don't know if I quite know the answer, and I think there's a there's a there's a spiritual determination to that in, in as well. Is you know, am am I waking up every day to be the person that God wants me to be? Yeah. And here's what I hear when I hear you say that. Every day when someone else can win because of me, it was a successful day. Mm. Does that sound about? Yeah. So what is success not? Um, so in the, in the world of sport, which is my world, um, we have become mesmerized by the win-lose column. Yeah. Um, mesmerized by the result. And I think the world in any industry is like that. We will look at numbers and we'll say this is success. This represents success and this doesn't represent success. But I'm now very clear in, in my 53 years of being on this earth that um, um, success is absolutely not about that. Because that is just a short part of the journey of life. That moment of success is a short part of the, journey, of the journey of life. It's a snapshot. It's a snapshot. It's just a moment. And what it is, it's just a marker. Yeah. It's a marker to say, for that moment in time, there were things that you did that stacked up right. And by the way, there's a lot of luck attached to that as well. Yeah. Okay, so accept that. So that's a marker. You all, so, so, so success for me is to acknowledge that marker. But there, there's another marker that we often neglect of success, and that's failure. Yeah. And that's losing. And I think there's actually, we, we underestimate the power of, of where success in your life sits in failure. We underestimate that. We underestimate what vulnerability. We underestimate the concept of weakness. We underestimate the concept of losing. Yeah. Because in there lies so much learning about who you are as a human being. So success for me is not the results column. It's not the win-lose column. Success is an absolute journey of, of life where you need to acknowledge. Someone's, I saw a quote the other day. Someone said, um, winning and losing are imposters. Wow. Yeah. Both. Both. <laughs> winning and losing are imposters. Um, what they, what they were saying is, don't take any of them too seriously. Yeah. <laughs> if you go to the Olympic Museum in Lausanne, they have, a, they have as you walk in to the Olympic Museum, um, they have a definition of competition. And it comes from a Greek word. Um, it's two, the word is called um, pater. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. But what it means, it comes from two words. One is community and the other one is give of your best. So the definition of, of, of competition in the Olympic Games is you having the opportunity to compete against others that are as good as you. That's community. Yeah. And, and, and all, all you need to do is to absolutely give 100% to that cause. Yeah. And the results are irrelevant. Irrelevant. I want to tell you about my cricket career. <laughs> I played in all my cricket career two games. First one I was out for a duck, second golden duck. Was I a successful cricketer? Uh, that's not enough of a sample size. <laughs> <laughs> two games is... 
That's interesting. Uh, for us, it's always an interesting coaching piece because, again, what we do is, you know, we, we need to scout and identify talent. Yeah. What are you looking for? You know, yeah. so someone said to me, if I, I, I could not determine whether you would be a successful um, player without just knowing the scores, yeah. the fact that you got naught runs. It doesn't tell me whether you could be successful or not. But what I could do is I could watch you in a, yeah, in a net situation. And I could start to see things that would either make me excited or not excited about your potential talent or coordination around the sport. That's what we look for. We're just looking for those little flare moments. I mean, you're holding a cricket ball and you throw the cricket ball in the air. I'll start to begin to understand your coordination with the ball. Maybe yeah. you can flick the ball or, yeah. you know, there's certain things. Yeah, there's certain things that you could do that make me think, oh, and there's something there. So I could get, I could catch a ball probably from anywhere on the field, but I couldn't bat. I was a terrible batsman. I was 11th man, but they would put me out on the wide. And when the ball comes, I had explosive power. I could get out of the blocks. My chance of getting the ball, 70, 80 percent. Yeah, and it's not to say that you couldn't bat either. <laughs> it wouldn't be that. I mean, you, yeah. uh, maybe someone told you that you couldn't bat, so you believed them. Yeah. But maybe you could bat. I'm going through that journey with my son at the moment because wow. he's an opening bowler who, who I think has the potential to actually be a better batsman, but he, he doesn't believe in his own mind, yeah. so he bats 8, 9, 10, and I think he should be batting 5, 6, 7, you know, um, but I've got to get him to believe it. Yeah. He's starting to believe it, yeah. but I see enough in his game to say, well, I think he can be a good player, a yeah. good batsman. So South Africa needs lots of hope. I find hopelessness when I look into the eyes of the poor. Nowadays I see hopelessness even if I look in the eyes of the wealthy and the middle class. So I would like to ask your perspective. You have traveled very well and you have seen more than most South Africans in other parts of the world, yet you choose to stay here. Is there anything particularly, is there anything particular about South Africa that gives you hope? Um. Yeah, well, first of all, absolutely. Um, I, I think sometimes we are our own worst enemies in many ways, where we will, we will always, we, are, we, we analyze ourselves as a country, you know, better than anyone else would do that. And I think we're very critical of ourselves. I mean, let's not forget um, the miracle that happened in the early 90s. I mean, to turn this country around peacefully was a miracle, quite simply. Um, we see it certainly in the, in, the, in the sporting space. You take our national sports and the success that we have had as a country uh, transforming itself in, into a country that's equal for everyone. I think are remarkable journeys that we've been able to compete against others who are only focused on excellence. Everything is geared towards winning and and being the best team in the world. And, and we, are, we are in the process of transforming our country through these, th through these environments of our national sports and being able to keep the level of, sustainable level of success, I think has been remarkable. But for me, the thing that, that stands out is, and, and I've, I've walked a, a small journey of this, is to have the experience of being able to watch people from all different cultures and walks of life in this country walk together and um, 
and 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 walk a journey um, of a of a common and shared goal it gives me incredible hope. I believe every South African that chooses to stay needs to contribute. Mm. The first thing is hope. Is there anything you could give me and the rest of South Africa as something to work towards in order to instill hope in fellow South Africans? Quite simply, listen to each other's stories. Eh? We need to listen to each other's stories because they are yeah. very powerful stories. And I think sometimes we, we haven't stopped to listen properly yeah. to everyone's journey and story. And, and um, I think that'll, that'll create hope. I'll never forget, I was with the Protea team in 2012, and our manager at the time was a, was a Muslim doctor managing the team, a remarkable human being, Dr. Musaji. He asked me, he gave me a lift, I think, to the airport from, from the stadium in Johannesburg to the, to the airport. And embarrassingly, he asked me the question. He said, do you know my story? And I said, Doc, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I haven't asked you. So he says, well, why, why do you think I'm here in the cricket, cricket environment as yeah. a manager of a cricket team? So I said, well, I presume you love cricket. He says, yeah, I love cricket. I also played it. And he told me a story about how he was the guy that had all the qualifications and performances to get the scholarship at Wits and never got it. And he had to go overseas to qualify himself to wow. get that scholarship. A tear in my eye when I got to the, to the airport to say that, Doc, I'm embarrassed that I hadn't listened to that story. So I think the more we can um, listen to each other's stories in this country from all walks of life, we begin, the, first of all, the, the restorative process and the healing process. But secondly, we find solutions together because then we can build trust. But if, we're not, if we don't stop and listen to the story, we can't build the trust. <laughs> yes, that's well said. That was well said. I mean, that gives hope. Because <clears throat> anyone can do that. You don't have to be qualified to listen. Don't have to be qualified. <laughs> and it's, but for some reason, we, are, we, 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 don't, we don't hear. You know, we want to tell. Um, we're doing a lot of work in Kailicha at the moment through our foundation. And... Um, you know, I, I'm, five years ago, I made the biggest mistake. I walked in there and I said, you guys need a cricket facility. I'm going to build it for you. I didn't ask them and say, well, what do you think you guys need? You know, um, do you want it? First of all, what do you think you need and how can I help? <laughs> and listen, first mistake I made, but we I've learned along the way. <laughs> so now what we've done, we have built a facility, but it's not owned by me. It's owned by the community own the facility. It's theirs. They take ownership and control and they, it becomes part of their DNA. It becomes part of their community and their environment, which that, that's, where, that's where it excites me. Yeah. Sure. That's good. Gary, there's something um, that you talk about often and that's hard work. And I think in South Africa, we are moving into the space of expecting more for less work. Mm. I just want to hear what you think about hard work. Why is that important? What does hard work look like and what's the fruit of that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a great way of asking the question. I, I think for me, what does hard work look like? And I think it's different for everyone, isn't it? It's a, 
you know, people say these days, oh, you need to work smart, less, less time, but smart, you know, whereas, um, you know, defining what hard work is, I think, um, is, is a difficult one. I, the only way that I can, I mean, my wife often says to me, the one thing I really enjoy about you as a human being is um, you get up and go, you know, and in many ways, it's a compliment, you know, it's like, she says to me, you're not lazy. You just get up and go and you, and you do stuff. And I think you can, be, you can do stuff stupidly, but you can also do stuff um, very, um, and very well. So defining what that is, I think for all of us is different. Some of, for some of us, it might be, you know, I get to work at five in the morning and I leave at eight o'clock at night. You know, that's a, and people will say, well, that's a definition. You know, and for others, it might be, that's quite crazy. I mean, where's your balance, you know? So... So hard work for me, I mean, or work ethic for me would be what are the what are the the various components of your life, and are you putting effort into all those components? Um, so if I'm a if I'm a father, what does work ethic look like as a father? Because we often say, well, work ethic is at work, and then you come home and you watch TV and you don't engage and connect with your with your kids. That's poor work ethic, in my view, because we know that. You, you know, when you, when you come home, um, you've got to put in some time and effort and you're tired and it's... So I think we, we need to look at all the, you know, the various components in our life. I mean, spiritually, I think, uh, I think as well, what effort you're putting in spiritually, you know. And um, I know one particularly bad area of mine is quiet time. You know, it's just to wake up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to dedicate a certain amount of time. I think I've got quite poor work ethic there because I'm not consistent enough, you know. Um, so I think you can look at it all and, you know, I get very scared when people say, I can define work ethic, but you don't know my life. <laughs> yeah. Tell me all, all components of it, then I'll listen, you know. So I think it's, it's, it's more general just than one area, you know, in our lives. You know? Would you say it's giving the best in every area? Yeah. Never the one at the expense of the other. Absolutely. I've been fascinated by the concept of balance, you know, balance in our lives. I think it's something that we all grapple with. And I've had... Me too. You know, I've had real issues with that. Um, traveling a lot in my work, um, trying to match out your day. You know, if you've got a, a 16 or 15 or 16 hour awake day, how do you use those 16 hours, you know? And um, I think for all of us um, as young work people or youngish, I'm not so young anymore, but uh, to find that balance is incredibly challenging for us all. I want to talk about success with our kids. Something I heard you say is we celebrate the one and not the 99. Mm. I would like to hear what you think, what happens in the hearts of the 99 that we don't celebrate. Yeah, you come up with some great questions. What the world has done to us um, is in, it, it, it has created stimuli that has um, um, moved us into certain directions. The world has created those stimuli for us. Um, you know, when, when we talk about golf, yeah. we talk about the 15 best players in the world. Um, 
you know, when we talk about batting, we talk about Vera Coley and A.B. de Villiers, you know. There's a lot of other guys out there at, that we don't celebrate. Um, many years ago, I read a fantastic book, golfing book called um, A Good Walk Spoilt, written by a guy by the name of John Feinstein. Why was it a fantastic book? It was written a long time ago, in the, I think in the 90s. Why was it a fantastic book? Because he walked a journey for us as golf enthusiasts of the pro that was ranked 200th in the world, that, wow. was walk, that was getting to the next tournament on his own steam, running out of money because he didn't have a hotel that he could stay in, sleeping in the back of his car and having to make a putt that day to just make the next tournament. It, it was an incredible read. And fantastic to watch a talented individual who's also trying to be the best version of himself, but he's really struggling. And for me, there are so many magnificent success stories of those 99. But what do we do? We only talk about the one. We only talk about the one. And we want to hear their story. We want to hear the Alex Ferguson's six, uh, eight steps to leadership success with Manchester United for 30 years. You know, so, so we highlight those and people say, well, that's what we've got to do. That's who we're aspiring to. Absolutely. But let's not forget the other 99 because they're very powerful stories out of that as well yeah where and great leadership and success stories as well now i've got two more questions one is about surrender <clears throat> spirituality not just in the uh, secular world but also in the mm. believing world mm. Surrender is not fully understood. <clears throat> Are you willing to talk a little bit mm. about that? I've got a lovely story to tell you on that. Yeah. Storytelling please, is always there. <laughs> please tell me a story about surrender. Yeah. Um, you know, when you get an, an opportunity to represent your country in a sport and you have success, it can project you into a lot of different places as a human being. And you, you can fall foul to the trappings of it as well because there's, you know, fame and fortune can come with it. And um, if, often what happens in that space is you, you lose perspective on who you are as a human being. And then often it's extreme failure that wakes you up, which is exactly what I went through. I had this success. I got to a stage in my career where I was really battling with form, you know, and a lot of my life was dictated to and driven by, six, by, by scoring runs and not scoring runs. My whole makeup of who I was, was when I was scoring runs, I could puff, puff my chest out, walk with my shoulders back, look at people in the eye and say, look at me. When I was doing really badly, I would cower a little bit, not want to engage, and I, in many ways, for a, for a period of time, I was representing myself in that fashion. And cheap as then did I have a wake-up call of the highest degree, late 90s. Um, I, I, hit, I hit rock bottom in form. I mean, I literally just couldn't score a run. I was depressed. Um, thank goodness I just got married to my wife of 21 years today, who, who, who were able to give me some proper perspective then. Um, um, but, you know, I was, I was on the verge of being dropped from the team, basically, from the Protea team. 
you know, I'd had a five-year career with the Proteas then. Um, so I was one of the more regular um, guys in the team. Finished a test match, I'd got no runs again, and I, I literally didn't think I'd get picked for the Boxing Day test match at Durban against England, and that was in 1999, and uh, I got picked. And when, when I saw my name in the paper to be picked to play that game, I, I was actually depressed. I didn't want to play. I wanted to cop out. I wanted to wrap up. I just said, I've done my bit, you know. Anyway, I went to that test match, played against England. They batted first, got 420 in the game. It was a bit of a weather-affected game in Durban. Went into to bat, and I remember saying to myself, well, this will be your last test match anyway, you know. I went into bat. First innings, I got 11 runs. It's, a, it's regarded as a failure. Um, although I got to double figures, which was quite a big thing. And um, we were bowled out that day, and we went into bat that next day. I think it was the third day of the test match. We went into bat straight away. I remember there was about 10 minutes left in the, in the day. And I went out to bat, and I thought, brilliant, I can get this test match stuff over with today, you know. I didn't get out, but I should have got out. Yeah. I played and missed, and I was, I was on two not out overnight. End of the day's play. Went back to the hotel that evening and I remember saying to my wife, she was with me because it was Christmas time and she said to me, um, I said to her, tomorrow's the last day, I can't wait, you know. It was a bit of lightness in me, I was, there was no expectation. And then she said to me, you know what we're going to do for the next half an hour, we're going to pray. <laughs> so we sat down and, we, and, and we, we just started to pray. And what did we pray? Surrender, relinquishment. Yeah. Let it go. Let, let God take control over the over tomorrow yeah i woke up the next morning i've never felt so light in my life light i just went out and I, you said what will be what will be is going to be i wasn't nervous at all and i went out to bat and it was the most uh, bizarre experience i'm, I'm not going to give you the whole story but the bottom line was i batted for 14 hours yeah this the second longest innings in test history on that day. And I got 275. And um, um, it, it was a journey of relinquishment. But the journey of those 14 hours was the continued yeah. relinquishment. Um, it, was an, it was an amazing out-of-body experience. I had no confidence. There was no ways I, de I deserved to score runs on that day. I was not prepared mentally. Um, I had given up on myself yeah. as a human being. Yeah, and I was just, I was, lift, I was lifted by God through that journey. And he, his plan was, no, you're not done yet. Mm. I played another 50 test matches, batted another five years for South Africa, and retired on my own terms. Well, yeah. So that's a, a powerful <clears> thing. <throat> I should have surrendered after that first duck. <laughs> But as you said earlier, you know, we, we fight it, don't we? Yeah. We fight it because we think we... I can do this. I, I've got this one. And I've done that all through my life. Yeah. Learned from my mistakes, you know. And um, The older I get, the more I realize it's actually not about you. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess we have to talk about cricket a little bit again. Um, particularly about India again. There was just two questions that I was thinking about. When you reflect, it's almost 10 years. What, what do you think you did for the team, for them? And what did you learn in the process? Um, I think what my offering was 
to the team was um, we can we can have success as a we can have success as a group of people, we, but we need to do it the right way. You know, we there's a way to achieving success, and and the way to do that is we can have a lot of fun together. We can enjoy building friendships, building relationships, meaningful relationships. Um, and, and I think through my, my leadership of that space, that's what we try to create. I mean, we became really close as people. And that's an, that was a massive privilege. And I think that's what I took away from that journey with India is just another level of very close relationships and trust. Um, you know, Sachin Tendulkar, who's a celebrated um, hero of, of India and still is to this day, what a... What an incredible human being. And for me, the, the, without doubt, the greatest sporting role model I've ever met in my life for the adulation that he receives in India. You know, he came up to me on the, the day, the last day that I had with the team. Um, and we had, I'd formed a very close friendship with him. And my, my time was over. And I walked past his hotel room and he was in the room and his wife was there, Anjali, and they, and they, they saw me walk past and they came out the room and said, Gary, we just want to have a word with you. And, and Anjali, his wife, spoke, not him. And she just said, Gary, we know you're leaving tomorrow, but we just wanted to thank you for everything you've done for Sachin over the last three years. It's been the most enjoyable time of his cricketing life. Now, the question, the question I always say to, to people is, would that have been enough? even if we hadn't won the World Cup. I would have taken that over winning the World Cup. And I think that was, that was the experience, you know, that I had. Just a absolute gratitude, because I didn't know what I was going into. Absolute gratitude for that three-year journey. But I think we, my kind of style, I mean, it was a masterclass recruitment in many ways, although it was a very informal process. But I think what they tried to do was match my personality with what the requirements for the team was. And it was a masterclass because we just got on. I got on really well with, with, with the Indian players. And did we answer the question, what did you, what did you learn from that? Um, yeah, I don't know. What, I, I, think I, I think for me, the learning out of that journey with the Indian players was... Um, that no matter where you come from in whatever journey that you've walked and where you come from, if you take the time and the effort to understand people and get to know them and connect with them, they will walk through a wall for you. But you need to spend the time to really get to know them. And I think that was the, that was the greatest learning that, you know, we can come from a very different parts of the world and that is the South African story that is the South African journey if we take the time to just understand um, we can achieve so much together that's beautiful <laughs> we can't do better than that <laughs> is that enough there's a lot in there <laughs> yeah cool that was very well said cool it gives me hope. I'm so hopeful I'll start playing cricket. <laughs> <laughs>